there was never any other music in history that youth can identify with and say, this is ours. Rock was. I was sort of the bridge between the adult world and the kids. Disc jockey cousin Brucey, Bruce Morrow, today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Well, some of you, if you're old enough, grew up listening to Cousin Brucie on radio in New York City from 1961 to 1974. Maybe you remember him from the movie Dirty Dancing. And then some of you will remember him from his years on Sirius XM from 2005 up until just a few weeks ago, actually. Cousin Brucie is one of America's most famous and most popular disc jockeys. I first met him in 1987 when he'd written a memoir of his years in broadcasting. And yes... He is just as wacky and just as funny and fun to be around in person as he is on the radio. So here now, from 1987, Cousin Brucey. My earliest recollections, A, I wanted to become a brain surgeon. I failed because at three years old, I had a doctor kid, and I lost two patients right away. So I figured the heck with that. Two neighborhood kids, you know, nothing. Parents didn't miss them. Then I was seduced by radio. Radio seduced me at a very early age. First recollection... Mrs. Bloom, Mrs. Flink, Mrs. Goldberg, and my mom, Mrs. Myrowitz, which is my, my, was my given name, my born name, uh, was standing on the porch weeping when I came home from school. And in the background, I heard the radio blaring, and it was a little RCA radio, a little Bakelite radio, saying, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States passed away this morning. I looked at these women who should have been in their home cooking the meal for the evening for their husbands, which was the most important part of their lives in those days. What could have upset them not to cook the meal? And I realized it was radio. The power of this radio to make people weep and to control emotions and not to have dinner ready for their husbands, something was there. I was seduced that day, and I knew that that was going to be my love and my life. Seduce is a great verb to use. It really does. It really is very seductive, isn't it? It is. It's the most seductive, I think, of any profession. You and I know we have tremendous responsibility, tremendous powers over, you know, to, to do things good or bad. Uh, we can suggest things to people, and people will try things. So it's a very grave responsibility. I know you take it seriously. I know I do. But I wish more people did. Why is it, though, that so many of us who started out as disc jockeys wound up doing something else, and then there are the great disc jockeys? Well, uh, that's kind of an interesting question. If you, you think about it, a, a disc jockey, first of all, I always hated and I've always battled the word disc jockey. To me, a disc jockey is somebody who comes in the studio, and many of them are, and tells time and weather and plays records, does a couple call letters. Then there's those of us who got involved. See? That's why we left being disc jockeys and became radio personalities, information seekers, disseminators of information. I'm one of those. I still play music, but I don't regard myself as a disc jockey. I'm out there. I'm involved with my community. I relate to my audience. I get out there and I help. And that's what radio has to be. Radio is... Radio is in the bath with us, in the shower with us. We go to bed with it. Uh, we're in the car with it. It's right in our rear. I'll tell you something interesting, Bill. I think in about 50 years, babies will be born with a little black box on the left ear that says, Made in Taiwan, three transistors. And what I'm trying to say in a humorous way, that radio is no longer a luxury. It's part of the human daily experience. It's wonderful. I'm part of that experience. That's why I don't want to be a disc jockey. But they said when the movies came out that... that, that, that Radio would, would that was that was the end of radio. When well, television came out, that was the end thing. of radio. Oh. And and then then when when some of the AM stations started uh, giving way to the FM, that's the that's the end of AM music. Uh, it's, no. We have one thing that no other mass medium has. We are theater of the mind. Now, unfortunately, not too many radio stations use that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Bill and I are sitting right now in a crater on the moon. 
He is dressed in a white spacesuit, and I'm wearing a chartreuse spacesuit. We both have antenna. I guarantee you people listening right now picture that in their minds. Nobody else can do that but us right here on radio. We don't use it enough, though. We do not use our imaginations to stimulate their imaginations. People don't stay tuned long enough, though, for something like that, do they? No, because they're not, they're not, they don't want to. There's nothing to be tuned for, this seven- or eight-minute thing. Uh, I still believe my audience listens to me for a great length of time. I know yours does. Otherwise, they're going to miss a lot of information. Uh, it's up to us, though, to re-educate ourselves and our audience to get radio back to where it should be, an intimate, informative, wonderful, wonderful device to reach people, a human experience. It's unfair to ask you this, but I must ask. You've got so many highlights. The whole book is, is a series of highlights. Isn't that a fun but, book? Yeah, it really is. Are there higher highlights than others? Or do, are there points in your career when you say, that is me, that is, that is what Bruce Morrow is all about? Well, let's see. I have to, it's, it's probably a little unfair, but I'll give you one. As soon as you said that, I think of the Beatles. When these four mop-top Liverpudlians came over, it changed my life as it changed everybody in this nation's as well as most of the free world's lives. They affected me sociologically. They affected language. They affected the way I dressed, hair. You know, I always tell a, a kind of a cute story, which I love. Um, little uh, Mark Goldberg from the Bronx would call me two weeks before the Beatles came, and he'd say, Hey, Brucey, man, hey, I want to play a good rock record and sit down to my girlfriend, Cecilia. I really love the guy. We're going steady. Two weeks later, the Beatles have been in town, and they really stimulated, and they really came and affected all of our lives. Mark Goldberg from the Bronx calls, uh, Bronx calls Cousin Brucey, and you hear him say, Hello, thing. This is your old cousin, Mark Goldberg. I'm now British, you know. Would you mind playing a Beatles record? They affected everybody. They did affect my life. I, I, I love them for it. And I'll tell you why I really love the Beatles. They not only uh, helped the music industry, they changed the clothing and everything. The music industry in those days, when we were really limping around, they needed something, and they did it. They changed music, the entire structure and the entire course of the music industry. What a scandal there was in my house when my dad saw the length of their hair. Oh, yeah, that was awful. Wasn't that awful? These, how dare they? What, and how dare they use the American rock idiom? And how dare they copy uh, Chuck Berry and, uh, and, and Fats Domino? How dare these, these upstarts from England take the American rock medium? Boy, little did we know how much we needed them. But wasn't it wild how, how our parents did a thing like that? Hey, I want to you, you tell you something. I'll tell you how honest I am. A couple days ago, my, my daughter's listening upstairs to some heavy metal group like Twisted Sister. right? And I'm yelling, will you please turn that radio down? I can't stand it. Then I say, oh, my God. Oh, my God, what did I do? I'm doing the same thing my parents did to me. Turn that Ram radio down. That type of thing. We're all the same. We're all in the same experience. We'll never change. <laughs> Derek Taylor was in here over the summer, and he said, it's amazing. He said, I look at MTV now and those terrorists on there, as he called them. <laughs> the terrorists. He said, how tame the Beatles were. Right. Well, of comparison. course they were. But it's all, look, it goes around in cycles. It's all who's looking at it, whose eyes are looking at it, and what's happening in our life. They were, in those days, you know, this was a part of our social existence. It was time for youth to sort of wave a banner. You know, as you know, rock and roll was youth's first way to, uh, to identify themselves. There was never any other music in history, in the recorded history, that youth can identify with and say, this is ours. Rock was, and they associated themselves with it immediately. That's why there was such an upcry from the adult world. It scared the heck out of the adult world that here, youth has something to latch on to. Here was the folk singer. Here was the poetry of youth, the minstrel, the newspaper of youth. And we didn't understand it. Everybody got scared. That's where Cousin Bruce's came in. I was sort of the, the bridge between the adult world and the kids. 
You know, you were mentioning a moment ago with, with the music of today. Is, it a, is there any point, do you think, to parents arguing with their kids about, that's not real music, or when they're, in my day, that was music? No, there's no point, because it just goes round and round. And what I'm happy to, to hear and see now, is because I'm sitting here talking with you, and I'm busier now than I've ever been in my life, the feeling of the 60s and the 50s music is very, very prevalent today for a mass audience. Now, we have cult things. We have uh, the punk rock thing, which is just about on its way out. Heavy metal you know, has a small following, et cetera, et cetera. But the main thrust, the mainstream now, is very oriented, very uh, 1960s and 1950s feeling vis-a-vis Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Billy Idol. Uh, he was a, an idol, if you pardon the pun, of a lot of the young people. Huey Lewis in the news. Almost anybody I can mention, I go right down the List, they are using the simplistic structures and the, the easy melodies and the great lyrics, the easy street lyrics of the 1960s. Uh, we want that feeling back. Everybody wants to delve into the memory bank, and we are getting listeners now. We have listeners joining us who are in their 5-year-old, 6-year-old, 12-year-old. And if you watch television or listen to the radio, what is the music backing up almost every commercial you hear today? I heard it through the grapevine. Everybody's going into our thing. Hollywood. Look what's happening in Hollywood. Motion pictures. I just finished Dirty Dancing. I'm going to hit movie. I picked the music for him, and I'm in the movie as a magician. And uh, it's all 1960s music. It stimulated us, the swinging 60s. But then again, it was not all happy and not all pretty. And I mentioned that in the book. We have an analog eraser in the back of our heads, uh, Bill, that somehow it lets us erase the bad times. Otherwise, we'd be all be more neurotic than we are today. And we're pretty neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? It's that big lump in the population, the baby boom. As we, we wanted our own thing when we got a little bit older, but now that we're getting a lot older, we want to go back to the way it was. That's right. Hey, well, <laughs> we, 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 Like you said, we had it so great in those days. Weren't they great old days? Well, I'm happy that happened. That's why I'm here. I am busier today. I'm doing all kinds of things. And I think it's kind of healthy. I don't think we should live in the past, but there's no reason why we can't refer to to the past and learn. I mean, historically, we should all have done that. We, I think politically, we'd probably be better off. And uh, family-wise, we'd be better off maybe getting back to some of the old-fashioned days, you know, that, and maybe adapt them to today. I'm not saying let's all become old-fashioned again. I'm not one of those guys. I'm not that conservative. But maybe by looking at certain things that happened yesterday, we can learn a little bit. We never had time to do that. What are you doing today? What are you active with? Well, uh, I just sold, I own eight radio stations and a television station. I'm on, uh, I have my radio shows in New York. I'm on CBS FM in New York City. I am very proud. I have a, a very successful network show called Cruise in America with Cousin Brucey. It's heard on 170 markets now, major markets, and uh, it's growing. It's all, only almost a year old. The book just got finished, uh, which took me three years of my life. Happy years with my partner, Laura Baudo, who is a real author. I call myself an authorette. And, but I wrote this book with her. I mean, I really wrote it. And uh, I did a film called Dirty Dancing, which is about 1963 folks in the Catskill Mountains, which we did not shoot in the Catskills. We shot it down in a place called Lake Lure, North Carolina. Hollywood didn't think the Catskills looked like the Catskills. <laughs> Figure that out. And because of that motion picture being such a hit, I've just been offered a very big part in a murder mystery. And I'm going to play finally something I've always wanted to be. A bad guy. So watch it. Cousin Bruce is going to be a bad guy. No one will believe it, though. I smile too much. Do you ever feel that, that urge to break out of the mold and be something that you haven't been before, like a bad guy? Uh, yes, in a motion picture I can do that, but I don't think that it's really in me. I really don't. I, I'm really me, the Cousin Brucey persona, and it's very corny. I'm a corny guy. It's real. Uh, like my name, the little lady who gave me the name uh, came into a studio one day and said, Hey, I do believe we're all related. And I said to her simply, Yes, ma'am. And she hit me very quickly. She said, Well, cousin, lend me 50 cents to get home. 
That's how I got my name. As simple as that, on the way home that night through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, uh, a light went on. The bell started ringing. I said, I got it. I got it. I'm Cousin Brucey. The next day, I went into the radio studio, and I spoke to the program director. I said, hey, from now on, I want to be called Cousin Bruce, Cousin Brucey. And the guy looked at me and said, are you crazy? This is not... This is not um, Cheesequake, New Jersey. This is not um, somewhere outside of Kansas City. This is not the Bulls. This is the Big Apple Man. And I looked at the guy straight in the face and I said to him, listen, fella, I'm a New Yorker. And there's nobody as corny or more corny than a New Yorker. To me, corny is nice. It's warm. That's how the Cousin Brucey thing was. No, I want to stay the way I am. I'm very happy, and I love talking and relating, and people are listening, and I like being Cousin Brucey. There is a line, though, between being corny and being homey and, and folks yes. are good to listen to, and bizarre and and shocking and weird. Oh, I know what you're going to get into right now. I call that schlock shock. You know, radio to me is a very, very serious tabernacle. You and I are both traditional broadcasters. I don't want to say we're conservative because I'm sure you get a little irreverent at times, and so do I. I don't mind even being a little blue with taste. But now, from irreverency, we've gone past that, and we've gone into something called bad taste. And I don't like it. However, we have a very serious problem, don't we? Something called the First Amendment. And when we're starting to get challenged by religious groups or political groups, and they're going to tell you and Cousin Brucey what to say and what not to say, uh uh-uh. So now I'm finding myself going all over this nation, speaking at universities and on network television, on radio shows like this, saying, hey, they have every right in the world to be on the air. And I'll tell you something, they do. And there's one great way we can censor them. Turn them off. Get just, rid of them. I was just going to say, every one of them says, well, you have an off button on your radio. That's right. Do you, I mean, do you want somebody to tell you or to censor the schlock shockers in town? I don't. I just want you and me and people who do not like that kind of broadcasting to use our common sense and turn them off. And, boy, we'll get rid of them very quickly. I don't like what they say. I mean, they've gone over the line. I don't think it's cute. I don't think it's funny. Cousin Brucey celebrated his 85th birthday just a couple of weeks ago. And you can still hear him on New York's WABC Radio Saturday nights. Would you do me a favor? If you liked today's episode, would you tell a friend about Now I've Heard Everything? We post new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, a spooky little preview of Halloween, my 1992 interview with paranormal investigator slash ghostbuster Lorraine Warren. It was what I felt the evil I felt, the oppression I felt. That was the area that we had the most trouble with during the final exorcism. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.